in our role now as authors, as speakers, and as consultants, we recognize that our job is really to be an influencer to help other leaders in the organization to embrace some things that can make their people thrive. I think the most important thing that we are able to uh, contribute to our clients and, and to the world, we can give them some different tools, some different techniques that they can in turn use to engage their organization, their teams in a deeper kind of relationship focus in their culture. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Carnivera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We are back with episode 90. Our special guests are Brett Cooper and Evans Kerrigan. This first time we've had a pair of guests together. The title is Solving the People Problem, Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in Today's Workplace. That's the title of their most recent book that came out just last September of 2020. Brett and Evans have been working in leadership and helping organizations grow and improve their impact, their engagement, their effectiveness for over 20 years. Their company is called Integris Performance Advisors. They're here today to talk about leadership. And here's, here's an opening point. Leadership is relationships. How simple is that? We all talk about these people issues we have, or as their book says, people problems, but they're gonna give us some solutions, some tried and true solutions in terms of how do we look at ourselves as leaders and improve not only our leadership, but our outcomes with our people rather than through our people. It's about bringing more humanity and people focus to our leadership. Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. All right, we are back here and we have a unique episode today. You know, Craig and I love first times and this is the first time that we have had dual guests yep. and that's going to be an interesting conversation. I know it will spice it up like all of our conversations. Today, we have Brett Cooper and Evans Kerrigan with us. They are co-authors of a book called Solving the People Problem, Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in Today's Workplace. Just came out last September. Brett and Evans have been working together the last 20 years, and they help professionals build relationships that work, and they help workplaces work better. Brett and Evans formed a company together, and it's called Integris Performance Advisors, and they help clients do the things we really want. They help increase employee engagement, improve efficiency, and frankly, have generated hundreds of millions of dollars in financial benefit. They are both known as thought leaders and popular speakers on team dynamics, leadership, and operational excellence. And as you know from the book title, we're going to be talking about people, which is really vital to Craig and our perspective on how do we improve workplace and the people element of leadership. So welcome, Brett and Evans. Yeah, great to have you. 
Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Craig. Glad to be here. And, uh, uh, you know, finally, we're ev- we're evening up the team here. You know, always you guys are the <laughs> two right. on one. Now, yeah. now it's two on two here. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're going to find out who's got game then. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. So uh, give us a little bit of the the story of the, the Brett and Evans story that brings us here today. Sure, I'll go ahead and take that. Uh, and I'm Evans. And Brett and I met uh, about 20 years ago, actually, just after I got into consulting, after some work with a bunch of different corporations where I'd been leading improvement efforts for those organizations. So I started consulting with Lean and Six Sigma, which was the work that uh, the company that Brett worked with uh, did for clients across the world. And Brett did product development and, uh, and uh, client development with them. I was one of the consultants out working with clients uh, in the UK and throughout Europe and Australia and mostly work here in the United States. Working together on projects, Brett and I realized we actually had some different ideas about how some of that stuff could be done. And uh, we decided that, you know what, there was a different approach, a different way of doing this that wasn't focused as much on the tools of continuous improvement but on looking at the people side of stuff, kind of the stuff that you guys talk about. So good. And, and there needed to be a little less focus on the, the technical tools or a little bit more focus on the communication, the team, the leadership. And we decided, you know what, there's actually a better way to do this. We can get some financial results, but we're actually not helping change the culture of those organizations in the way that we really need to for long-term success. So we struck off on our own, create Integris Performance Advisors. And as part of our work, we do continue to do Lean and Six Sigma work, but we also do a lot more leadership, team development, personal development, because we found it's not really about the project delivery. It's around how do we lead? How do we communicate? How do we work with one another? (laughs) It's really going to make us successful. And if all we're thinking about is that work process, we're actually missing the biggest clues we have to what's going to make us successful long term. Wait, so relationships are important? We right. would say that relationships are important. As a matter of fact, we frequently say that leadership is relationship. Absolutely. Right? There's, there's really kind of no difference between those. Yeah. So we really focus on that people aspect of how we get things done. And it, it's, it's been enormously successful for us. Um, if, I, if I can, just for a second, we had a client that we started to do work with. They tried to do a lean implementation, and then uh, that didn't work was with a different consulting firm. And they kind of came to us as the second choice about, about a, two years into that process. We started working with them. We said, okay, we're, we're going to do your lean implementation. Here's how we're going to start. We're not going to talk about lean at all. We're going to talk about teams and individuals, and we're going to build the culture that all those tools you may have already heard about actually work. And uh, I got a frantic call, or what sounded like a frantic call when I picked up the phone uh, about eight months in. From the second in second person in in uh, in the organization, number two person in the organization said, "We have a problem." I was like very concerned because this was early in our business, and uh, they said, "You know," I said, "What's the problem?" And they said, "Well, I had laid out a five year plan of how we could actually change the culture here, and we're like eight months in with you guys, but I'm in year four of my plan." <laughs> I was like, that, "That's that's perfect." And what's really cool is. They did, we started to layer in some of the tools and stuff, and those were a piece of cake now. Same kinds of things that could not be done a little bit earlier. You start to change people's mindsets, people where people are and how they communicate, work with one another. A lot of these tools that seem difficult become a whole lot easier. 
So I'm, I'm really curious. One of the things that Jeff and I talk about a lot is trust. How much of that is trust-based because they went through this process together? So a, a big part of this is trust-based. Um, okay. um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm stuck on stories this morning. So that's <laughs> for a long day, we never know. Um, we had another client, same kind of thing. They, wanted, they said, we want to start uh, uh, working continuous improvement stuff with our organization. Talked with the leadership there, and they admitted that they really had low levels of trust. We said, before we go anywhere else, we need to address that. If, if you don't have trust, mm-hmm. nothing else can actually take place. Yeah. Right. So the, so the better way that we can build trust and trust at a really deep level, trust where it, it's okay for me to say, I don't know, or I made a mistake. All those things that can come out in the open quickly when we have trust, mm-hmm. they all kind of get hidden behind the scenes and don't get dealt with when we don't have that trust. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely critical that we build trust. Yeah, Craig, when we talk about trust with teams and organizations, we, we, we like to refer to it as vulnerability-based trust, Yeah, right? It's not predictive-based trust. No, I know what you're going to do because I know, you know I have a history with you. It's, it's really <laughs> vulnerability-based trust, which to Evan's point, allows you to say things like, I'm sorry, hey, I made a mistake, I need help over here. Yeah. And if you look at the history of how, especially American companies have used lean, Six Sigma, process improvement, a lot of times they've used that to work people out of jobs, right? And so if you know, we, we ran into situations where we were trying to teach people these skills of being able to assess uh, you know, how efficient a, uh, a process was so that they could streamline their, their, their workflow only to find out six months later, well, now they've been let go because they don't need the overhead anymore. And talk about a way to kill the idea of process improvement. So with the stories that Evan shared and, and a whole bunch more, by focusing first on trust and, and, and really getting that deep level of trust with people, we essentially form that foundation so that when they get into things like process improvement or, or mm-hmm. even just working on projects of, of, of any kind where you know it takes people getting together and working through different ideas, the trust enables people to to recognize, hey, we're all on the same team. We're all going the same direction. We're trying to achieve the same goals. We just have some different perspectives. And quite honestly, we want those different perspectives to come out. You know, we, we're, we're a big fan of Patrick Lencioni's work, uh, mm-hmm. author of the, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And he has this framework for teamwork that starts with trust. And the second behavior is all about uh, enabling productive conflict. You know, there's a lot of folks that say, right. Hey, I don't want conflict in my workplace. Sure you do. Well, no, you, really you want do. conflict. <laughs> you just want the right kind of conflict. Yeah, that's right. You know, you want to take away the negative stuff, but you want the productive conflict. You want the, Hey, let's share our ideas openly and vigorously so that we can get to the, the right solutions. So you're spot on trust is, is the foundation of, of really all of the work that we do around leadership, around team dynamics, and, and ultimately organizational success. I love the distinction you had in there where you talk about trust based on vulnerability, not based on predictability. That's something that Jeff and I were just talking about yesterday in uh, one of our trainings. So let me address the, I, I would call it the elephant in the room, it just keeps getting bigger. Uh, over the last couple of years, and certainly on this podcast, I will tell you it's unanimous, and maybe it's just how we've attracted guests, Every single guest has talked about vulnerability, 100%. Mm-hmm. 
And yet, I don't believe that's anywhere near the mainstream. Oh, yeah. And leaders. So, like, sort of like one guy said, is anybody listening? So everybody agrees that this is required. I think there is a lot of misunderstanding of what vulnerability means. And, and I love the way you're talking about it. But what do you think is getting in the way of leaders and organizations not embracing those? Well, honestly, Jeff, th- this is, this is kind of at the core of why Evans and I decided to write Solving the People Problem. <laughs> because in Solving the People Problem, we, we basically took a different look at the idea of emotional intelligence. See, one of the things that we fully believe and, and we've experienced for, for a long time is that the idea around emotional intelligence, generally speaking, you know, going back you know, decades uh, since emotional intelligence has been around, it's the idea around being able to have a better perspective of an understanding of your own emotions and kind of the emotions and uh, uh, behaviors of other people and be able to manage that kind of thing. But the thing that we really uh, have, have recognized, and this goes directly to your question around, hey, is anybody listening? We've recognized that different people have different ways of approaching the world. People have different yeah. priorities. Some people are really fast-paced. Some people are a little bit more reserved. Some people are really accepting of new ideas and of new people and you know, are, are, are really re- relationship-based. And others are a little more skeptical. Uh, you know, they're always asking, well, hang on, you know, show me the money kind of thing. And those differences in people materialize in how we approach the world, in how we communicate, in how we behave, in how we think. And so the, in the book, one of the core underlying themes is that we are trying to get people to not only understand the differences among us, but honor the differences among us. Yeah. And what we find is in the, in the situations with the, with the leaders, with the teams, with the organizations who have really embraced these ideas, that once you get people not only just understanding, but actually honoring, because honoring then means that you react differently to them, we start to see that this idea of getting vulnerable can thrive a little bit more. I'll, I'll give you an example. You want me to give you a, a, a quick little story between two people of how this materialized? Sure. Okay, so so we had had, had these these two folks, Emily and Kevin. So Emily was in sales. She was this uh, gregarious kind of big picture thinker, uh, and Kevin was in accounting. And he is uh, he, he's more of a of a business guy, kind of get down to business a little bit more private. Uh, both of them really smart, really driven, uh, very successful in their roles. But man, they were having problems, and they they couldn't get vulnerable with each other. And heck, they were even having problems just working together. Uh, I'll give you a couple of scenarios of how this was, was coming to play. So they, they used to be part of this team that had their Monday morning meetings. They'd come in, and Emily being kind of the gregarious one, you know, it was social time for the first 10 minutes, right? Hey, how was your weekend? What did you do? I did this, and isn't it great? You know, all this kind of thing. And, and Kevin being that more reserved guy, he's like, this is a waste of time. Uh, I don't really care that much about what you did over the weekend, and I'm not going to share my details. We have things to do. Can we get to it? So there you go. That's people problem number one between these two. You know, Emily is looking at Kevin, going, you know, why can't you just, you know, open up and let's let's share a little bit? And Kevin is looking at at Emily, saying, okay, you're just wasting my time. So in your world, so is the, that I versus D? 
it it, it, it kind of, actually it's it's an eye uh, on on the disc wheel. It's the eye, the influence characteristic mm-hmm. of Emily, and the C, the conscientiousness the okay. of Kevin. Yeah, yeah, because through through the disc, we know that Kevin really uh, uh, respects things and, and and honors things like around accuracy and stability, that kind of oh, thing. Gotcha. Whereas whereas Emily as an eye is all about enthusiasm and action, and uh, taking care so, of people. You know, there's and taking care of people. Um, you know, they, they get past the team meeting and they're working on a project together. And, and we have another people problem here because just that we were just talking about with Emily being focused on action and, and ideas, she's like, oh, this project is going to really do great wonders for our, for our clients and it's going to be great for our business, you know, and, and, and talking about the big picture of things. And Kevin is saying, okay, you're being Pollyannish. You're moving too fast. You're skipping the dotting the I's and crossing the T's right there. Again, they're at each other. Emily is frustrated by Kevin slowing, slowing uh, the whole thing down. Kevin is frustrated with Emily for not focusing on the details. And I'll give you one other piece of this story. Their boss, they actually get through the project. They deliver the project. Well, the boss wants to thank them, wants to recognize them. What does the boss do? At the the next pro, uh, the next all team meeting, all organization meeting, with, after the project delivered, he brings up Emily and Kevin in front of everybody and thanks him for a job well done. <laughs> Guess who loved that? Emily. Emily. Emily loved it. Kevin's thinking this is the worst thing, and this, this is not a recognition. I don't want to be called out in this way. So. Uh, you know, so Jeff, going back to, to, to your point around, you know, how do we get people to actually do some of this vulnerability? Well, in Kevin and Emily's situation, what we were able to do is we were help, we were able to help them recognize some of that, Hey, that innate characteristic that they have as, you know, an I style in disc or a C style in disc. And we help them recognize that, you know, we, well, we help Kevin recognize, hey, Emily's not just trying to be, you know, Pollyannish. That's the way she sees the world. And in fact, you need that in order for your project to thrive because she's the one who's bringing the customers in and, and really driving things. And Emily, you know, Kevin's not just being a, a, a downer. He's, he's really focused on that accuracy that, you know, you might overlook some things. And so really you need Kevin to balance out some of your big picture thinking. And yep. together, you two are able to achieve so much more. And so we started by helping them understand that. And then by showing them the mutual benefit, we get them to honor that. And now suddenly we have story after story. And a lot of these are actually in the book. One of the best things about writing the books, we collected stories from all kinds of people. And a lot of those stories are very similar to this Kevin and Emily story in that it was people realizing, oh, my coworker doesn't hate me. They just see the world a little bit differently. Yeah. Well, I, I guess my question for whoever best fits here is those tools have been around for a while. The tools you're talking about are not new. Now, your perspective might be in terms of focusing on the vulnerability it takes to get there. But I'm always curious if, if this is so clear, but we, this is not the norm. There's a reason for that. Is it that people don't buy it? Do they think they've already got it figured out? Uh, are they unwilling to be different? Because when you tell the story, it makes sense. But you tell a success story, it makes sense. Now let's talk about how many organizations, in fact, have brought this training in and nothing has changed. 
Because so it's not I the tools you, that change it. I, I actually the in the last part of your question, I think you hit on a big part of the problem because you said you know a lot of people have brought disc training into an organization. We believe that that right there is a big part of the problem. That disc and, and, and in fact other personality style uh, and you know strengths strengths finders and Myers Briggs and any any of these kinds of things that people use. They, they bring it into an organization as, oh, it's a training. I, I know that um, the first time I ever went to a, a disc-oriented training, uh, I had some laughs at myself. I learned a couple of things, but I wasn't given any practical application, yep. and my organization didn't really do anything other than say, hey, go to that training and then come back, right? And what? so, so, so to your point, that I think one of the big problems of why these tools have not been really effectively used in the past is because it's been delivered as a training class. Yeah. And what we really believe is, no, th this has to be, you know, the, the benefit that Evans and I have as leadership consultants is that we started in process improvement consulting and really organizational um, change, right? Culture change kind of organizations. Uh, Going through that process, we really understand what we call the change curve, right? Training is really good at generating awareness and maybe some understanding, but training does not give people the opportunity to really experiment and ultimately adopt new behaviors and sustain those behaviors. That takes integration. That takes a lot more than just going to a training. So what we believe when you look at the, the tools and the language of DISC and emotional intelligence if you just come to like one of our trainings and that's all you do, it's probably not going to go very far. That's why we work with organizations and in, in the organizational leadership to say, look, you need to adopt this language and use this language yeah. all the time in your team meetings and, you know, have, have things uh, that, that really share what this is all about. Yeah. To your point, I was working for a company, uh, 250 people, and we actually hired a PhD who focused on Myers-Briggs. We went through the training with everybody. Then we put everybody's you know, Myers-Briggs type on their doors. And in the teams, we had discussions and you know, further, not just training, but really digging in and figuring out, okay, let's talk about this interaction between you and you. And that really helped my team, uh, my, my IT team at that point. And I'm and it, it helped a lot within the organization. And uh, that was actually very helpful to have that so that we could understand, okay, I'm stepping into this room and right there is the different type, okay? I need to be aware of how this person is going to, you know, their natural way of showing up and how I can respect that and approach them in a way that will be helpful. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole, the the whole idea is how we can actually make it part of how we think about it right. in an ongoing basis, not just for a workshop or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things I, I agree wholeheartedly, I mean, the model's been out since the 1920s. The tools for utilizing that model have gotten a lot stronger. So there's a lot more we can do with it that we yeah. would have historically been able to do with it. So there, there's a lot more refinement and a lot more discussions we can actually set up that aren't just at that general, you know, S to D talking about that general style, but actually talking specifically about myself and Craig or myself and yeah. Jeff 
that really kind of take it to the details of how do we best work together. So, uh, so I think we've got a little bit better set of tools and a little bit better understanding of how do we make this not uh, not a, a, a single instance, but an ongoing discussion. And that, that's really where the growth comes out of it. It's helpful if we can get away from the labels too. Oh, you're an I. Oh, okay, right. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> rather than oh, let, let me let's let's actually talk so I can understand who you are in your eyeness, but even outside of that, because we're not the same. Right. All I's are right. not the same. All all D's. You know. No, if you look, I mean, yeah. any of those general styles, you're talking about roughly a quarter of the population. There's a great deal of variation in there. Yeah. Right. It's a way to start that conversation to actually get to know one another a little bit better. And one of the ways in which it really helps us, uh, some of the work around emotional intelligence points out that uh, a lot of people tend to say they are emotionally intelligent, but at the same time, we have difficulty actually even identifying our own emotional states, unless they're really strong <laughs> emotional states. Right? So, so part of actually entering into that discussion, being able to have that discussion, is it starts to bring that out a little bit more into the open for us to get a little bit more aware of what's actually going on for me. What are the things that are actually stressors for me or, or things that might be motivating me? And from a communication standpoint, it doesn't really matter what I'm saying. It matters what the other person's hearing. So if I can understand a little bit about what matters to them and what they can actually hear, well, now I have the ability to actually improve our ability to communicate together. Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious because of the title of your book. I've not had the opportunity mm -hmm. to read your book. You know, so many, and I want to tie it into the leadership side. So yeah. many leaders say we have a people problem which I mean, by the nature of that comment, I have an issue with it. I said, yeah. no, you don't have a people problem, you have a leadership problem. Yep. Right. And, and you know, your book is titled Solving the People Problem. And so talk about the people problem, I'm putting it in air quotes, and yeah. leadership and what you find are the real core issues versus, hey, you people need to shape up. <laughs> yeah, boy, Jeff, you are speaking my language. Um, we wrote the title actually to, to be a little bit controversial, to kind of actually get people to kind of step back, because I, I have found that when people say there is a people problem, it means there's a problem with process, there's a problem with leadership, there's a problem with communication. There's probably not a problem with people. So uh, at one point while we were writing the book, actually, the subtitle was not that nice subtitle about the skills you need to lead and succeed in today's workplace. It, it, the subtitle was um, solving the people problem. You are the problem. <laughs> I like that. Might be a little, little bit too, too little too controversial and in your face <laughs> to to show up on a bookshelf. But uh, but we really believe that uh, the the people problem isn't actually people. It it's our our not taking enough time to actually understand another person's point of view, another person's yeah. perspective. So we what we really wanted to do was push on the fact that. Part of this is about starting with yourself. It's the only tool you have to improve your relationships with other people. And, and, and I mean, we both really like the subtitle. We just thought we'd also like to sell a book or two. So um, <laughs> I would have bought the other book. I would have probably bought yeah. 20 of them. Yeah. Just I, I, the I think I see four people in the screen who probably would have bought that. Just book. an outlier. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, it really, it's, it's about saying, if I want to improve my emotional intelligence, it starts with actually even understanding who I am, what my biases are, what, what don't I hear? Um, I was listening to a couple of mm. podcasts. You guys do so a great good. job with some wonderful guests. And boy, they were talking our language, a little bit different wording, but, but it's really about when somebody does something or says something to me, I'm creating a story in my own head yep. 
It's completely through my lens. It has very little to do with what is actually going on or what that other person may mean or be thinking. It, it's just, it's my own story. And, and part of the people problem is if we're not even aware that we're running those stories, if I can't kind of put the brakes on a little bit to say, wait a minute, let me check. Where is that person actually coming from? Yeah. Was that the message they intended to send or was that just the message? Is that just how I interpreted it? Well, I have green glasses. So everything I see is going to be filtered by that. Yeah. Yeah. We all have that. Right. So yep. it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's part of it is being able to kind of understand ourselves a little bit better. And what are those biases? What are those triggers that actually make me uh, kind of go off and, and understanding those, not so that I will catch them every time, but so that I've got a little bit better ability to kind of stop that amygdala hijack and say, wait a minute, let me question first, because <laughs> that may not be actually true. That may just be my internal monologue. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Leadership Junkies podcast is brought to you by Cartevera. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartevera.com. Welcome back. Well, I think it's, it's interesting because most people don't realize that they, they are wearing a, a pair of glasses. And so helping people to actually see that they are, you know, whether that's through coaching, whether it's through mm -hmm. assessments or some other mechanism, that's usually the one point that they say, oh, wow. Okay, now that I know that it's here, I can do something about it. And, and Craig, we, we have, uh, uh, we, we can offer your listeners an opportunity to actually have a little bit of that mirror, a little bit of that self-awareness as, as we're writing the book. One of the things mm -hmm. we recognize is, so, so as, as we've talked about in this interview already, Evans and I have a history of you know, practical work, right? We're, we're, we're not academics. We're, mm -hmm. we're not, uh, we're not researchers. We do a little bit of, of, of our own research, but that's not our core. Our core is how do we help people practically change? So yeah. when we wrote the book, the, the first kind of quarter of it, it lays out some of the foundation around what is emotional intelligence and what are some of the studies about why it's so important and what's a little bit about the, the DISC uh, personality style uh, uh, theory and assessment so you can understand that. But the bulk of the book is all about practical application, uh, looking at and at your current state and how do you apply your own thinking mm -hmm. to things like decision making and managing conflict, working together as a team, being a leader. And one of the things that we recognize as we're writing this is that something that'd be very, very helpful for people is if we were able to give them a, uh, an assessment that they can get a, a current state of, well, where do I sit on this, this space of emotional intelligence? So the yep. framework that we use in the book for emotional intelligence really has four kind of elements to it. Mm -hmm. uh, the first is knowing your own style, which leads into the second element of uh, essentially choosing your actions wisely. So, you know, you got to know your style, that's awareness, and then you got to apply it. You got to choose your actions wisely based on knowing your style. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece with the other two elements is first you have to know other styles but it's not enough to just be aware of other styles, right? It's not just to understand them. You have to actually honor them. So you have to apply. So you have to know other styles. 
and then you have to adapt your behavior for mutual benefit. So you have those four kind of pieces of emotional intelligence. So we put together a, a, a real easy survey that's available at solvingthepeopleproblem.com that any of your listeners can take uh, for free that will give them not only a, a kind of a score of where they currently sit, high, low, medium on those four areas, but more importantly, going back to that practical nature of, of what Evans and I are trying to do, it actually will include several tips in each one of those four areas around, hey, here's some things you can do, some things you can think about, some things that you can uh, um, be, you know, some, some behaviors you can adopt. And wherever you're starting, we'll start to get you to that next place. So if any of your, if your listeners want to go to solvingthepeopleproblem.com, they just look for the link that says, what's my disk EQ? Click that and they can put in the uh, access code uh, Cartavera. And that would give them the uh, the free assessment. Cool. Thank you so much. Well, yeah. Well, let me ask you a question about this. So, all I mean, the assessments keep evolving. My question is a practical one, and then I guess a higher level one is how well do the assessments now call out self bullshit? <laughs> because you know, I'm going to give a really quick example. One of our guests, Walt Rakowitz, friend of mine, to me. He's one of the finest leaders I've ever met. In fact, I'll tell you a compliment I gave Walt when I first met him a number of years ago. He's a very strong Christian and a Jesus follower. And I said, of all the people I've met in my life, I said, Walt, you model Jesus leadership more than anyone I've ever met. So incredible leader. And he's a vulnerable leader. And he wrote a book about that. And yet he told us that when he got into this leadership role, one of his blind spots was he got some 360 feedback that they said he was not showing up well with empathy. Hmm. Yet I know Walt, and Walt is one of the most empathetic people I know. So if he were to do an assessment, he would honestly say, I'm high in empathy, but not, that's not how he was showing up for them. Hmm. And the cool part, his vulnerability was he was open to the feedback and looked for ways, because all it was is they said he's running so hard to try and save this business, he's not slowing down to make time for people. And he took it and made changes. So, I mean, can you speak to that whole thing of this, how we see ourselves versus how the world sees us and how that may change what kind of help we need? Sure. So, uh, so we've been talking a little bit about the DISC assessment. The DISC assessment doesn't have that 360 element built into it. We do other assessments with leaders, and uh, we use a 360 assessment process with the leaders that we work with. Uh, specifically around building their own leadership skills. And that ability to get other people's viewpoints is critically important. And it frequently, it's just the issue that you were talking about, Jeff. It's not that the leader isn't, doesn't have those characteristics. It's that they're, that's not how they're actually showing up to others. So it, it helps us entertain that conversation of what would you need to see to understand how much I care, right? What, what would we need to, what would we need to happen? And, and setting up that ongoing uh, communication is just wonderful. And we actually participate in that process ourselves. Uh, done that uh, kind of since we started the organization with that 360 process. With feedback that we have people give us to uh, give to us anonymously, um, we actually got to a point with the organization where uh, we actually had several of the members of the organization said, yeah, no, we don't really want to give you anonymous feedback anymore. We want to just tell you, which we took as um, uh-oh, but but also as, 
okay, so we have enough trust that you guys could feel like you can just tell us. You don't have to, we, we don't need to create that, that mechanism. We never would have gotten there had we not had those mechanisms to kind of build that relationship to be able to move forward. From. Uh, so I, I think there is that aspect of, it's, it's the same thing we've been talking about with the disc, right? It, it's what am I seeing in my head, whether it be personality style or how I think I'm coming across and how do I get some feedback that helps me see how much of that is true and how much of that is just a different story I'm telling myself. Yeah, and I would argue the using the, the 360 assessment so you can collect formally different uh, points of view and perspectives is, is absolutely a key way that you can help uh, avoid some of that kind of self BS that, that you might do with a you know, self-assessment. But really the other, the other piece of it goes back to that idea of the change curve and the idea that you know, none of this is really about training and none of this is really about you as a leader. Uh, we've already established leadership as a relationship. So our book, and I would argue every leadership book that's out there shouldn't be read in your bedroom uh, and just kind of kept to yourself. It should foster conversation. You should be Great taking idea. the ideas that you've learned you know, from your guys' podcast, from the books you read, and take it back to your team and say, hey, um, you know, I took this assessment. Why don't you guys take this assessment? But let's talk about it. It's, it's less important, and we see this all the time with assessments. It's less important of what the personalized report actually tells you and it's more important, what do you gain when you start talking about these ideas with your coworkers? Because ultimately, if we are going to not only understand, you can get that understanding of different people's styles from reading a book, taking assessment, that kind of thing. But if you're really going to get to that point of honoring, you, you need to interact with other people and you need to get their perspective and hear their perspective firsthand. And it's, it, it, it's, it's a dialogue, right? It's a wow, I didn't know you saw the world that way. Here's how I typically view the world. And it's so interesting that you see it that way. Let's, let's open up that conversation so that I can really understand what's going on. Well, Brett, um, that's a really respectful way of saying that. You know, and if, thank if you. people actually approached it that way, wow, you know, it's, it's fascinating how you see things. I see things differently. And, and I find that it's interesting. And so actually appreciating that difference versus saying, wow, you really believe that? <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, the, the, I, I fully believe that the most valuable thing that, that people in our profession generally can do is foster conversations. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, back in the day, we used to be able to get on stages and, and do conferences. We were talking about this a little earlier. You know, I, we, we did a lot of uh, public speaking. And, and I, you know, whether you're front of, front of the room in a classroom or on a stage, you know, I don't believe that the idea of any of us is to be the smartest guy in the room, or the smartest person in the room. And, uh, you know, hey, let me, let me share all of my wonderful knowledge with you. It's really around triggering conversations for other people. And uh, I, I will tell you this, I, I learned this personally, a lot of the activities that we encourage teams to uh to engage in we do them ourselves and we actually had this this one session with our own team where we use a, an exercise called the appreciation seat and the appreciation seat is a very simple technique that any of your listeners can use with their teams you know tomorrow and it works on zoom just as well as it works in a meeting room 
you basically take the, get the team together and you take turns with one person sitting in the appreciation seat and everybody else goes around and says, hey, here's something you do that really helps the team kind of move us forward. But because we want it to be practical, because we want, you know, as some really good, valuable feedback, we, we say, okay, we're going to do a second round and we're going to say, hey, here's something that you do that kind of slows us down a little bit. It's kind of like and a sandwich. It, yeah, well, it, <laughs> there, there's a little bit of that, um, but it's, it's the idea that we want, we want everybody on the team kind of expressing some appreciation, but also giving some of that feedback, holding up that mirror a little bit, because to your point, Craig, a lot of this time, you know, we don't, you know, we don't know our own BS and we don't know how yeah. we're coming across to the world. So when we were doing this exercise, one of our, our colleagues, Renee, came to me and she said, you know, Brett, the thing that you do that drives us forward is you're always ideating. You know, you're thinking about the future. You're thinking about the next products and you're, you know, you're pushing us forward and that's great. Thanks for doing that. So I'm thinking, okay, and I know that kind of be about myself. That however, kind of an idea. Guy. But, well, <laughs> but, but it's not a however. It's, it's a yes and, right? Because yeah. I mean, it's every strength overused can be a weakness. And, and that's exactly kind of what happens. So she came back around, it came back around to Renee and she said, so Brett, you know, the thing that you do that kind of slows us down is you're always ideating. <laughs> you know, she says, you know, we, we, we get working on a project, a lot of the times one that you initiated and, you know, we're getting into the details of things and trying to make it work and you're already on to the next thing. And so you come in with these other ideas and slow us down. And I'll tell you, that was a, perhaps a blinding flash of the obvious, but it was eye-opening to me. This happened, I don't know, eight years ago or something like that. And it's still mm -hmm. so ever-present for me because it, it makes me realize, oh, I got to catch myself because my natural tendency is to be, let's go on to the next thing. But I realize, hey, there's other people on my team yeah. that are actually working to get that thing done. So if we can, whether it's using a 360 assessment or even more importantly, getting people talking about these kind of things, that's where the realization really comes in. Yeah. I think it's also helpful to have a coach that can see things from the outside, that can, can read what other people are thinking and, and uh, be able to provide some additional feedback. That's been very helpful for me, at least. Yeah. I, I think we find a lot of people find that very helpful as well. And uh, I mean, that's part of what we get called in to help people with as well. Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes, and I'm guessing this happens to you guys as well, uh, we get called in when the, the damage somebody is causing has gotten so painful for an organization that it's kind of a last, a last ditch yeah. effort. Yeah. We, Jeff, one of the things that Jeff and I talk about is the performance improvement plans should be for everybody, not, not yeah. just the people who are underperforming. In fact, we were, we were kind of noodling about this the other day and we were looking at, okay, well, if you, if you're spending a dollar on marketing, and you're getting 70 cents back, how much, how much longer are you going to continue marketing? If you're marketing in a different channel and you're getting $5 back for every dollar you spend, how much more are you going to invest in that? And yet we sometimes focus on the people that are underperforming rather than the people that are super performers that could do a you know, 2x, 3x what they're already doing. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. And, and I'd carry that even a little bit differently. Um, if, you, if you thought about performance improvement plans, not as, a, not as corrective, but as a, right. this is just our ongoing performance discussion. Yes. And you had that discussion. How many fewer corrective performance improvement plans would you yes. ever even end up with? Because yes. it wouldn't have been the surprise of, hey, you, you, you flunked your performance appraisal for this year. We have to do something about that. 
those yeah. discussions would have happened and how much damage would not have would not have happened. I'm a big believer, although the book is titled The People Problem. I'm a big believer. If you see the possibility in people, it yeah. is amazing what people will step up to and do. If you yep. if you see possibility in them and if you give them the tools, the the presence and the the conversation to actually carry that out, people will amaze you almost all the time. But we we wait and we hope they're going to do it on their own at times in some organizations, it seems. And then we wonder why it didn't happen. Because we waited for the annual review before we had any con- meaningful conversation with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. How stupid is that? Well, yeah. and we didn't actually, We most annual reviews, we do not have a meaningful conversation. Oh, no. well. We don't even do it then. That. We just give them a number. We give them a number, we, give them we, a form. We give them a number, we give them a form, and unfortunately, in some organizations, that number is going to be driven by what we need to do from a compensation standpoint. So it's really not going to have to do with anything else, except it's we're going to have to do ratios to make the numbers look reasonable. That's a sucky game. Yeah. I, I want to come back to a word. I, I'm a big believer in the power of words, and I noticed a word that you used, Brett, and I'm guessing it's in the book, which is very different than most people, because most people talk about respecting differences. But the word you've used over and over, and maybe Evans, you did as well, is honoring. And to me, that to me sounds purposeful and will change the game because Mm -hmm. my experience is that's not something we talk about. And if I'm really going to honor you and your opinion and the way you see things, I, that's far different than just respecting it. Yeah. It's a very deep and it's relational, right? It is (laughs) relational. So is that an intentional use of word and how do you see that show up differently? Yeah, that, that is a very intentional use of word for us. Um, when we talk about uh, seeing the differences between people, and it, we talked about a lot of different words that could be used, the actual, until I get to where I can actually honor those differences, not that I can just see them, but I can say, you know what, and your, your differences have value, and, and I should honor that value. That was a very intentional choice of word. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think we've joked a couple of times, we may have overused it in the book. Um, but I, but I think it's valuable. I, I think when we look at how we are interacting with other people in the workforce or in any part of our life, that actually ought to be what we're looking at. Not, not am I seeing them? Not am I respecting them? Am I actually honoring them? Let's, because if, if I'm honoring them, I, we're going we're gonna to get along really well. We're going to get a lot of stuff done. And those differences actually just become the opportunities for growth for each of us yeah. and not the, not the challenges that we see now. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because to me, Jeff, this is kind of coming back to the word that Jana uses for you know, going beyond inclusion, which is belonging. And when you're <laughs> honoring somebody, you help them feel that sense of belonging where they're part of the team rather than this outsider, this person that acts different or looks different or um, somehow is you know, wired differently. And when we can have that state of belonging and have everybody feel that sense of belonging, that's, that's a very different kind of environment. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let me, let's be clear. Res- respecting is, is absolutely critical. And, and I'm so glad that we have such a, uh, an increased focus these days on issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in fact, a lot yeah. of the work that we do uh, is is actually used in that space, right? It's um, we we work on diversity of thought and diversity of perspective, which um, you know d- doesn't in any way uh, supersede or replace diversity of gender and race and things like that. But it's part of the same conversation. And in some ways, though, I think to to your point, Jeff, you know, 
if I respect you in some ways, that's that's at a minimum saying, hey, I'll 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 allow you to kind of coexist with me, right. and I you know I'll accept it. Whereas honoring, um, to to us, honoring is that higher level. It really says, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm going to embrace you, and I'm going to embrace what you are. I'm not going to let you coexist, but I'm actually going to embrace. I'm going to recognize the 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 value that you bring and that your your differences. And and in fact, your your similarities to me that that it's all it's it's valuable because it's it's you and um, if embrace if all we of can, you uh, embrace all of yeah. you and even the things that you know when you see the world differently than I do and people that really and, and more importantly organizations that really do well with diversity equity inclusion really have a theme around uh, valuing different people, different perspectives. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I know firsthand when, when I am surrounded by like-minded, you know, folks that only think the way I think, I, it, you know, it's, it's, it's confining in a lot of ways. But when we're working with, with folks that, that see things the different, different ways, that have different uh, backgrounds, whether it's, you know, how they were raised, where they were raised, what their, their, uh, their race background is, what their gender background is, uh, any of that kind of thing just brings so much more complexity and you know value to okay how can we move forward in the world because ultimately in business you show me a business that ultimately isn't about serving people then I'll tell I'll, I'll show you a place where you don't need diversity but if your business has customers your customers are people and your customers are diverse. And so you need to have people on your team that are as diverse as the customer base that you're serving. Yep, so, at least because you could be attracting even more. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what are you finding in addition to the tools and the conversations that help people see? Because I, one, a friend of mine gifted me with a phrase probably a year ago, and he said, Jeff, you're a noticer. Like you <laughs> notice everything. And, and that's pretty accurate. I, I'm close in conversation to what people say, how they say it. I can watch a room and see what's happening. And so often I'll, I'll hear some, in fact, it happened on a call last night. I was on a networking call and someone was introducing themselves in their business. And here's what they said. I'll give you the short version. Uh, I'm a business strategist slash consultant. I help businesses grow. We don't really work on mindset we work on hard numbers and hard outcomes. And they sort of wrapped up and I went, do they have any idea what they just said? Because to me, what they just said is to the several other people on the call, what you do is not as important as what I do. Yep. And I can tell you, I'm sure they have no conscious awareness that that's what they said. Mm -hmm. It's what they believe. And to me, that's the hard part of this because it's, one of my friends, Tommy, said a version of this. He said, most leaders, you know, 95% of leaders think they're a servant leader, but only 5 or 10% really are. And isn't that the challenge? If everybody thinks they're where they need to be, why would they invest in changing? So what are, you, what are the tools you use to help people start to see a peak other than anything other than your online assessment? And actually desire to have that change because we may notice that we're biased or racist or whatever that is, but to then also say, Hey, I, I, I want to change that. 
Yeah, so I, I think one of the important things, assessments can do it, but the, the audience you're talking about, they're not looking for the assessment, right? <laughs> so when we have the opportunity to have a conversation, sometimes it's, it's helping them see what some of the outcomes are of their current actions, what's really happening to them. Um, uh, a person I worked with early in my career uh, uh, told me a, a, a phrase that he used that, that, I, that I found really kind of helpful to think of when I'm dealing with those kinds of situations, which is that you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. However, you can salt the oats. Yep. And, and, and you know, we, we try to use that to say, okay, you feel like things are moving along fine. You're not causing any damage. What are some of the impacts of what's happening here? What are some of the ways other people are looking at things? So we frequently have done kind of little uh, 360s, you know, using a, a simple survey tool to gather a little bit of feedback because all of us need to kind of see what's going on. And it, if, in creating those tools over the years, heck, I've had leaders who said, you know, hey, that one's got to be redone because my people didn't answer it right. Okay, <laughs> that's not actually the issue. Right, we got to talk about a little bit different set of set of situations here. Yeah, what we company tried... is this? Did you switch the surveys? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. There's a whole list of ones I've heard. Oh, all my people, all my people switched the scale. Yeah, probably not. Um, so it's really it's about helping them to see. But you're always going to have those people who just want to keep the blinders on, and and if, if there's nothing I can do to make them be willing to open their eyes. Well, and then somebody has to decide whether that's conversation. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can invite them to that conversation in whatever way I can get them to start to see. But at some point in, in organizations, you have some people who actually aren't willing to get on board and treat the people in the organization the way they need to be treated. And you've got to decide what you're going to do about that as a leader in the organization. Exactly. Yeah. In our role, our role as, as now as authors, as speakers, and as consultants, we recognize that our job is, is really to be an influencer to help other leaders in the organization to embrace some things that can make their people thrive. I mean, let, let, let's face it. You know, we as outsiders to a client organization can only have so much impact, right? We're not there on a daily basis. Uh, you know, people don't report to us, right. people don't work with us over years. Um, it's, it's really around culture. And I think the most important thing that we are able to, uh, contribute to our clients and, and to the world is for those, those leaders who are willing to listen, we can give them some different tools, some different techniques that they can in turn use to engage their organization, their teams in a deeper kind of relationship focus in their culture. And all the things we're talking about, you know, the, the, the DISC uh, assessment, the emotional intelligence assessment, some of these activities, if we're doing them, people feel like, okay, I'm in a training, that's fine, well, and good. But if they are uh, activities and tools that the organization just embraces and starts to learn and uses, um, that's when we see the changes actually happen. And, you know, it's just like there's uh, early adopters when the new iPhone comes out and then folks that, you know, kind of are in that middle and then there's the laggards. 
there's exactly the same in any kind of change effort. So if it's an organizational change effort or it's a leadership development effort, the same kind of thing is going to apply. We have some leaders that are just, you know, right on board and always looking for, you know, the next thing and, and they, you know, folks that already embrace these kinds of things. So, hey, give me some more ideas. And then you have that next bulk of people that kind of come along and then you got some laggards. What we try to do is not focus on the laggards. This actually goes back to your point about the performance reviews and our tendencies in organizations to focus on, you know, the folks that are underperforming. Well, we don't do that. We focus on the, on the folks that are energized about this, that want to drive change and just don't know how to do it. Yeah. Right. They're, they're like, Hey, I, I philosophically, I understand. And I, and I buy into the idea that we want more diversity and we want people to understand and honor each other. And we want to have more productive conflict. I understand that as what we want. How do we get there? That's where we come in. That's where the, the book comes in. That's where the assessments come in. Because honestly, if, if somebody's not, not going to take what they learn, be it from reading our book or from listening to us or listening to your podcast, if they're not planning on doing anything with that, we as outsiders aren't really going to be able to make that happen. Sure. But I think what, what we can do is we can give people uh, deeper tools. Because I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, the four of us on this conversation, we're thinking about how do you improve leadership? How do you improve employee engagement on a daily basis? And yeah. most leaders have some functional responsibilities too, right? And so they're thinking about how do they do some of their functional things? So if we can come in and say, hey, you know, from all the, the work that we've been doing day in and day out, here are some tools and techniques that we've seen actually work for people. Here, try these. Well, then that, now we can give the motivated people uh, those tools and techniques, which enable them to, to drive their organization further. Well, let, let me ask you this final question as we wrap up. I, I hear you loud and clear. And what I'm curious about, what are you finding? You used the great word thrive. I don't know if you heard yourself say it. You talked about helping your employees to thrive, your team to thrive. My question is, what are you finding is the message that resonates with leaders? Is it the message that it's the right thing to do to help your people thrive? Or is it if you help your people thrive, you're going to have these solid business outcomes? So which, what are you finding is the message that usually gets their attention to actually do something? So the answer, Jeff, is yes. Yes, what you just said. Because to, to, to say what resonates with leaders broadly across the board there's there's no such thing because leaders are people. And as we've been talking about, people have different priorities. There are some leaders that care most about the bottom line and the results. And those are the folks that we use stats with. Those are the folks that we share the research that says, you know, 60% of people's professional success is based on their emotional intelligence, which is twice as impactful as their IQ or their technical skills. We share information around um, uh, studies that have, have indicated that employees who have managers with low emotional intelligence are four times as likely to leave the organization as employees who have leaders that have uh, high emotional intelligence. And you know, wh whatever the stats are, we share those with the people that are result-oriented. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of other leaders that we work with that are focused on the, well, how is this good for my people, right? And so we focus a little bit more on the, 
the discussion around you know what it means to to feel heard and feel honored and and how much more uh, personal safety uh, and psychological safety people have. So I, I we we have not found that one silver bullet, if you will, to say okay if we just if we just get leaders across the board to embrace this, then everyone will do it. It's it it's really taking the the genius of the and right. It's yeah. it's hey. This stuff is good for the bottom line of the organization, and it's good for the people in the organization. And, and that's the beauty of what we do is it, it's, no one can argue with it. If you care about people, it's good for you. If you care about the bottom line, it's good for you. But you need, if, if you're a leader, so anybody who's listening now who's a leader in their organization, and they are looking to drive change, this is a, a key point I would give to them is recognize that everybody isn't motivated by what you are motivated by. So That's for sure. everything that I just explained, make sure that you are sharing all, not only the things that motivate you to want to drive this change, but what are the things that other people are motivated by, uh, by and make sure you're talking about those as well. Well, it goes back to Emily and Kevin. Emily wanted to be up on yeah. stage. Kevin yeah. didn't. Yep. Yeah. Well, my, my follow-up question is, have you found, you've been doing this 20 years, have you found any difference in implementation based upon what the driver is? Because for me, if I worked in an organization and if I in any way felt that this was being initiated solely for the bottom line, even if that's what the leader's mindset is, I might not engage because of that. So my question is, do you find a difference in effectiveness of bringing this into an organization if the driver's different, I, I don't know that I that we that I have the data to say which one works from that perspective. But I will say, in any organization we've worked with, actually both of those approaches have been present. Because as Brenda said, you know, all leaders are going to have different uh, different motivations themselves. So even if the top leader in the organization says, "Okay, I'm doing this for the bottom line," because I've seen the studies. It shows we're going to get delivered. They're going to have a bunch of people in their organization who are going to be saying, yeah, but is it really taking care of my people? So we're probably having both of those discussions in parallel. It really is a both and because we need to reach the people. And at, at the end of the day, even if the leader is, says, I want to undertake this because of the bottom line, if the people in the organization feel like this is just because of the bottom line, they're not going to actually implement it in a way that actually delivers for the bottom line. So we've got to be able to have both those both those sides of the story. And it, it really is about, here's where we see the change happening. It's when people who were different, people who may have uh, had friction with one another for a long period of time, actually have that discussion. And, and often that discussion ends up in laughter. As, as both of them can recognize times that they got really upset with the other party because of a story they were running in their head that had nothing to do with what was going on on the other side of the table. And in the number of times we've seen that happen and people have that aha insight, that's when the change really starts to happen. And it has a lot less to do with actually the leader in the organization who might have created that opportunity in the first place, because it's that individual, in, that individual decision we each make to say, you know what, this emotional intelligence stuff, I heard it was good. Actually, now I'm seeing it. Now I've got the, I've got the proof myself, not a study I read, but I'm actually feeling it myself. I'm seeing how this is actually helping. So it's an individual discussion kind of at every place in the organization, right? So it's, it's can we create that opportunity? Because once we create that opportunity, 
we see it start to grow. And we've had a bunch of clients where actually this hasn't started at the top of an organization. It started in one little pocket in an organization to deal with issues they were having and communicating with one another. Yeah. And others have all of a sudden said, wait a minute, you guys all of a sudden actually are enjoying work and being more productive. What happened? And they start to ask those questions. So it, it's, it's, really, it, it's really rewarding to me when I see people actually realize that, you know what, work can actually be fun. We're going to spend a lot of time there. <laughs> we might as well enjoy it. And a lot yes. of that, a lot more of it than most people realize is really up to us. It's really up to the way in which I'm going to approach the people I work with and, and recognize what, what the ennobling purpose is of the work that we're doing. And if I can create those relationships, those work relationships that really work, a lot of our jobs that may have felt like drudgery at times actually aren't. They can be wonderful places for us to really engage a really positive part of our life, not the problems we're going to now take home to others. Well, the answer to answer your own question, Evans, when someone says, what happened? Brett and Evans happened to them, and that's what's <laughs> happened today. Brett and Evans happened to you. I don't know how to do a short version. You got Bretted and Evans did. I don't know. I, <laughs> those don't work as well as Jeff bead. or Craig. You got so. bead. You got bead. Okay, we'll go with bead. Sure, we'll go with that. So I know you've, uh, thanks for so much of this. You've already, you've talked about the access to the assessment is there anything else other than the book that you want to promote to our listeners? Actually, I'll, I'll say that uh, just today we released a, our, our second book, which is really a companion to the first uh, on Amazon. It's the Solving the People Problem Field Guide, oh, which, uh, again, takes our, our practical, our, our desire to give people practical tools. Yeah. Um, uh, it takes it to that next level. So it's a it's a field guide that goes along with the book, Solving the People Problem. And it includes, uh, I, I think it's 30 different exercises related to decision-making and how to manage conflict and how to work better as a team. There's some sales and customer service things in there. There's leadership in there. That, that appreciation seat exercise that was so impactful for me, that's in there. Uh, so uh, so that's, that's, um, uh, that's just gone up today. So Totally. Um, I, I would say if, if people can go to solvingthepeopleproblem.com, they can learn about the field guide. They can take the, uh, the survey, the emotional intelligence survey, and you can reach out to us there as well. Great. Yeah, I, if I could just add to that one little thing, uh, the reaching out to us. Um, as you've probably noticed from the way in which we talk, I love hearing stories about <laughs> what has worked for people or what people are struggling with and are challenged with. Um, so we would love to actually continue to collect stories as we go through this. Uh, we've already had a couple of people say, hey, here's a couple of different approaches. Boy, this would really help in my family relationships. It, it, it probably would. I mean, we, we titled it for work relationships because that's kind of the market that we work in. But yes, these work in that way as well. So what are the ways that we can apply this? When we start to actually honor the differences at work, I'm pretty sure there's a really strong correlation to how our relationships outside of work start to happen as well. Oh, absolutely. So how do people connect with you other than through the website or is that the best way? Uh, websites, one great way, I would say LinkedIn for either of us okay. and uh, we're easily find, uh, easy to find on LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah if anybody wants that. to, if anybody wants to reach us directly, like right now and wants to send an email, they can send an email to solving the people problem at integraspa.com and that will actually reach both of us all right well and we'll put all that in the show notes 
We always close with a couple of questions, and uh, we're going to start off, uh, Brett. Uh, the question for you is, you know, there's a lot of things you know, have heard, have learned, experienced. What's the one big piece of wisdom you want to share with the listeners? For speaking to the leaders specifically, and, and leadership is a, uh, is, is a verb, not a noun. So we fully believe that leadership is everyone's business. The one piece of wisdom that I wish everybody would understand is that leadership is not about you. Leadership is about the relationship that you have. And if you are a leader, that means that there are people coming with you. And if you are a leader in an organization, whether it's a, uh, you know, you're the quarter office kind of leader, you're a mid-level manager, or if you're just a person on a team that's trying to, to bring people along, recognize that your role as a leader really isn't about you. It's about your interaction with the others that you would call, you know, the folks that are, that are following you along. Yeah, I love that. Right on. I'm with you. Yes. So Evans, the question for you is, I'm sure you read a lot, you've written books, but what's the one book that people need to make sure they read? Yeah, so, um, boy, that is a long list for me. Uh, <laughs> way, way too much time traveling, and I've got a couple of rooms full of books here in the house. Uh, but, but the one that really calls out to me, and it's one that we use, actually, because it's been really impactful, um, is the Leadership Challenge uh, by Jim Coos and Barry Posner. Uh, in several different reasons, I really like it. Um, one, it's a 30 plus year ongoing research study. into So it's not just somebody's idea, it's actually ideas that are being tested over time to see if these actually work, right? It's the five practices of exemplary leadership. Um, and the other thing is it really kind of, to, to piggyback on Brett, it, it's about that idea that we can all be leaders. leaders leadership is an aspiration yes. and a choice. It's what we are gonna do, how we're gonna interact with people around us. And they use research and stories to kind of share the, the behaviors that when leaders do these things more frequently, they're going to get better results. They're going to help their people succeed more um, and all kinds of other great things that come out of it. But all of them are, are choices that we make of how we are going to act with people. And uh, so I, I found that to be a hugely impactful book for me. Um, it's now in its sixth different edition. Um, and I have read five of the six. Uh, the stories change every edition, right? The underlying model actually hasn't changed over time, even with the research base. But, but the stories change, and the stories are people like any of us. It's not, it's not taking somebody who is world-renowned. It's, it's people who are leading, leading in, in so many different ways, in so many different environments, but actually creating exemplary results working with the people around them. Well, Evans, thank you for that. I'm a believer. I, I often say the exact same thing. Leadership is a choice every day, every moment. Uh, do I choose to lead in this moment or choose not? So thank you for that. Thank you to both Brett and Evans yep. for being here and more importantly, for the work that you do in the world. It makes a difference. Thank you. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. 
And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate.